Hey everyone, I am excited to announce that Esther, Something Hidden, Something Revealed, is now available on Amazon as a side study, Volume H, in the Gospel Feast series. The book of Esther is a mysterious one. As written, it is a book with many contradictions. The name Esther means something hidden. It does contain several historical conundrums and a handful of mysteries. It is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God at all. Why? Many Jews today say that it is just fiction, because they can't find any of the characters mentioned within, historically. And yet, they celebrate the book with a major festival, annually. It is also one of the books that is required reading in the weeks before Passover, every year. Not by God, but by Esther herself. Why do this if you insist the book is just fiction? It is one of the only books that Joseph Smith made no corrections to, although he considered it to be historical. How is any of this possible? Esther reads as an eyewitness account, but then struggles with the simple, logical issues and frequently contradicts itself in some very strange ways. How come? Considering that Esther became the most powerful queen of the world's largest empire, none of this makes any sense. Or does it? Despite the wonderful story, we are left with the puzzling questions. Who was King Ahasuerus? Who was Mordecai? Who was Haman? And actually, who was Esther? The answers may just surprise you. The book is not fiction. And in fact, all of the puzzling contradictions were put in place for a very devious reason, and not by Esther. Join us on this astounding historical reconstruction and be amazed at what Esther really tried to do, and how, had she been able to accomplish what she had tried, your life would be very different right now. You think you know the book of Esther? Are you sure? Let's feast on the Word of God together and see what a woman of God can do when she really puts her mind to it. It also might make an incredible Mother's Day gift for the ladies in your life. Happy Mother's Day. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds, and give them showers of rain, to every one grass in the field. The Lord to the children of Israel. It's time to feast on the words of Jesus Christ. In this episode, we are going to talk about the days of latter rain. It is a puzzlement to Jew and Gentile alike that our Lord continually mentions Ephraim in connection with the latter days. Ephraim is important because he was given the birthright of Israel, but not the royal house. So how is this possible, since we don't know where Ephraim is? Or do we? In terms of Eastern symbolism, rain was the gift and mercy of God. It, like the Word of God, fell from the heavens, nourishing and bringing life to the parched wasteland. Clouds were understood to be the redeemed, who were rejoicing with the Lord in heaven. With this understanding, 
Note what Zechariah is being told here. Zechariah 10.1 Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. In other words, once the heavens are open again in the latter days, here called the days of the latter rain, the Lord will again bless the earth, but he will do it with a new people, here referred to as his bright clouds. These will have showers or abundance of life-giving blessings and communication from on high. This blessing will extend to every grass, or every race of man, and both the wheat and the tare, that is upon the field of the Lord's earth. This he will have to do, because... For the idols have spoken vanity, and the diviners have seen a lie, and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, they went their way as a flock. They were troubled, because there was no shepherd. All the false preachers, fake religions, and made-up gods of the land have spoken that which the people wanted to hear. Their preachings and visions of the future are lies. Their altar calls, baptisms, and doctrine are comforts that they give in vain. The truth is that they chose their own way, picked their own paths and pastures, because they have no shepherd but themselves. The Lord has said, that his father's house is not a house of disorder. But any look at the religions of man today show nothing but chaos and competing voices. It is clear to many of all faiths that they truly have no shepherd. God's shepherds have always been his prophets. The Lord next recapitulates his rationale for exiling Judah for 70 years, and how he saw Israel's leaders as goats, most likely Judas goats. When they return home, he will make their future leaders strong, like war horses. Mine anger was kindled against the shepherds, and I punished the goats. For the Lord of hosts hath visited his flock, the house of Judah, and hath made them as his goodly horse in the battle. Father Israel gave Judah the royal scepter to use. That kingship will again manifest itself in the last days. The ultimate Jewish king is the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of him came forth the corner, out of him the nail, out of him the battle bow, out of him every oppressor together. This cryptic list fits perfectly with Latter-day Revelation. The Lord who is, and will yet be, King, is the cornerstone. The nail that held him to the cross bound all things here to him. The bow that he set in the heavens in the days of Noah will be removed prior to his coming as a sign that Christ is again a warrior and an avenger. Also, all nations will be required to acknowledge the Lord's kingship, and he will organize his civil government around the house of Israel. And they shall be as mighty men which tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. And they shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be confounded. It is a puzzlement to Jew and Gentile that the Lord continually mentions Ephraim in connection with the latter days. Ephraim is important because he was given the birthright of Israel, but not the royal house. Ephraim and Judah have always been at odds over how one tribe has the birthright, and thus the legal claim to the name of Israel, 
while the other tribe, Judah, has the burden and duty of civil rule. You will remember that priestly rule, in Moses' dispensation, was given to Levi. Secular Christians and Islam hold that Israel, and really more Judah, lost their rights with the murder of Jesus Christ, and that all the blessings promised to Israel were then transferred to them. Their fancy word for this is replacement theology, a nice way of saying that the Christian church or the faithful Mohammedites have replaced Israel, and so all scriptures and promises given Israel should now be read as belonging to them. Before the return of Judah to the Holy Land, only the prophet Joseph Smith stood up and said that replacement theology was false. Today, most secular Christians agree with Joseph, since they can see the unfolding events in the Middle East. It annoys me that they see this and rejoice, while at the same time maligning the only prophet who foresaw it all before it happened. Where they should see Joseph's words as prophetic, and look toward the rest of his words for the next chapter of human events, they mock him and spew forth new lies, which will also not come to pass their way. They have been warned. Another teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith was that the tribe of Ephraim would marry into the tribes of Japheth, thus making many of them Ephraim as well. The blood of Abraham with its covenants is one part of the birthright blessing. By expanding Ephraim into Japheth, early Europe, the Lord was fulfilling the promise that Abraham would be the father of a multitude beyond human counting. Joseph Smith said that while the blood of Ephraim would circumscribe the globe, entering the bloodlines of all people, truly going over the wall of the oceans to every continent, it was particularly heavily concentrated in all the bloodlines of Scandinavia, in the Danish, Dutch, and Germanic peoples, Normandy, and the Norsemen, and on the British Isles. Joseph taught that one of the blessings that Abraham secured from the Lord was the promise that anyone having his blood would hearken more quickly to the Holy Ghost and feel its effects more profoundly. This was to aid them in forsaking the traditions of their fathers and heeding the word of the Lord in the last days. This is a great blessing. We should thank Father Abraham for living such a life that he was able to secure this bounteous blessing for all his posterity. I, for one, am very grateful that my ancestors heard the gospel and made the tremendous sacrifice to leave all their lands, kin, culture, and tradition behind and embrace the restored church for me. All of the cultural baggage which they had to overcome is not a burden in my life as a sixth-generation Latter-day Saint. God bless my faithful ancestors. It is my honor to repay them in some measure by sealing us all together in air-conditioned temples. Perhaps it is the only gift I can give them back. As a member of the birthright tribe of Ephraim, I am always quick to study whatever I can about my tribe and my brother tribe Manasseh, and our joint heritage called the tribe of Joseph, meaning Joseph of Egypt. Let's explore what Zechariah had to say about us in the latter days, since you are most likely an Ephraimite or a Manassehite as well. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God, and will hear them. The saving of Ephraim here mentioned is a gathering, 
Ephraim will cry out to the Lord, and he will hear and gather this tribe in the days of the latter rain. We are witnessing this very event in our lifetime. Ephraim was given the mission of the restoration outside the old land of Israel, in the same spirit as his father, Joseph of Egypt, did so long ago. In this he acts as an Elias, preparing the earth for greater things to come. Pay particular attention to these words. What comes next is the King James Version with a commentary to aid your own study and exploration of these amazing prophecies. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. In the last days, Ephraim shall be mighty and happy, because the Lord, the husband of Israel, shall be with them. Their children shall witness their father's testimony and rejoice and believe. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. For I will give my shepherds call, and they will hear my voice and know that it is I, the Lord. They will hearken and come to me. I will gather them. I, even I, Jehovah, shall gather them. I will protect them, and they shall grow in number. And I will sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. I will spread Ephraim's seed among the peoples of the world, as I promised his father Abraham. They shall gather to their respective stakes wherever they live. They will come with their families, and my name will be remembered among them again. I will bring them again also out of the land of Egypt, and gather them out of Assyria. And I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and place shall not be found for them. They will come out of the evil state and the fallen church by my power. I will bring them to the place of healing and strength. There will be so many that their places shall be too small to hold them all. Ephraim will be pulled out of the world and saved from the false traditions that have enslaved them. Egypt is a sign of the evil oppression, where the wealthy royal classes lived off of the labors of the people. America's founding fathers saw the British crown as a modern-day pharaoh. Later, our black brothers and sisters would use the same symbol in their musical prayer to God for freedom, in their popular song, Go Down, Moses. Assyria, like Babylon, stands as a sign of the fallen church where leaders in the guise of false priests lead the people to error. These stand in contrast to the balm they will find in Gilead and the home they will find in the outskirts of Jerusalem when so many shall know the Lord that there will not be room in Jerusalem to hold them all. And he shall pass through the sea with affliction and shall smite the waves in the sea and all the deeps of the river shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart away. I will punish the sea and trouble the world of the dead. I will dry up the filthy waters of Satan's kingdom, and his captives shall go free. And the pride of the arrogant world and the oppression of the church of the devil shall be turned away.
This is both a clever reminder of what the Lord has done and an allusion to what he will yet do. We know that this is more than just a recapitulation of the Lord's mighty works, since the Hebraic poetry here is shifted. In terms of coupling clauses, the passing through the sea belongs to Egypt, while the drying up of the deep rivers belongs to Assyria. Here they are reversed. This is the pattern. He shall pass through the sea. The pride of Assyria shall be brought down. The deep of the river shall dry up. The ruling power of Egypt shall depart. By the time of Zechariah, all of these events had already transpired, which is our second clue that the names used here are symbols for other events. In ancient thinking, the wild oceans were the realm of the dead where Satan ruled. Egypt and Assyria were the kingdoms that mixed both church and state into one joint evil power. There, the kings were also the subject of worship and held as a manifestation of the divine. In a mockery of the coming Messiah, who was both king of kings and our great high priest before the Father, these mortal kings taught that a man's eternal salvation was connected to his favor with the crown. Their real satanic foundation is here connected to their destruction by the loss of the sea or their loss of the power of the deep rivers, recalling Egypt's defeat at the hand of the sea and Assyria's demise by her mighty rivers. And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. I will make Ephraim great through my power, which they will acknowledge. They shall walk in my holy ways when I return to them my temple. The Lord has spoken it. In ancient Eastern thought, one's walk and the shoes one wears while walking are connected to his choices, both good and evil. An upward walk was called a walk to the temple, which was also called the mountain of the Lord. Leaving the temple was going down. The idea can still be heard in the call of angels and gods visiting the earth, man's fallen home, from heaven, the highest temple, when they say, Come, let us go down. Open thy doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour thy cedars. Howl, fir tree, for the cedar is fallen, because the mighty are spoiled. Howl, O ye oaks of Bashan, for the forest of the vintage is come down. There is a voice of the howling of the shepherds, for their glory is spoiled, a voice of the roaring of young lions, for the pride of Jordan is spoiled. So open your doors, O kingdoms of Satan. My people need the room to grow. You will cry when you see this, O prideful fallen houses of the children of men. You have oppressed my people long enough. You had thought to usurp my will for my creation. You are the usurpers. Your gods are liars. Your only strength is your arrogance. See, now your lies are over. Your heritage has been a lie. Listen to your shepherds, your priests, your imams, who say your culture is over. They are the ones that speak the truth. Listen to your wailing young men, who say your world has ended. Prophesy over these, Zechariah. So I said, those who lead these shall betray them and have no pity, no guilt about it. Those that misuse them shall thank their God, praising Him for the wealth they have amassed at another's expense. We are seeing this right now. Those with eyes to see will see.
So great will be the people of the Lord living in their rightful homeland that they will spill into and overcome the cultures and people who are living there. Rabbi David Kimchi, known as the great scholar Redak, was adamant that these verses belonged to the end of times when the Messiah would appear and the entire nation of Israel, including the Lost Ten Tribes, would return. He was right. Since antiquity, the pride of Lebanon has been its cedar trees. Today, a cedar of Lebanon is featured on their national flag. The next most prized trees are the cypress, who here are deep in mourning over the loss of the cedars. Wailing next to them are the oaks, over the demise of the fortified forest. Together, they wail over the burning and ruin of the strength of Lebanon. The idea here is that when the Arabic nations surrounding Israel see the fall of their mighty ones, all of their lesser kings, magistrates, servants, and people who thought they were mighty will wail and mourn that the pride of their house has been brought low. This will eventually culminate in the wailing of their shepherds, their religious leaders, since their prideful culture has become as nothing when the Lord pulls them down to the ground. This has been another wonderful feast into the word of the Lord. Any of you who are wanting more are encouraged to check out the full series, The Gospel Feast. It's available in paperback or on e-reader. Both are available on Amazon. And until next time, may the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.